0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Meenal Baghel, and this is the Times of India podcast.
1: When I look back, what strikes me the most is that so little is known about demonetization. It was a strange mammoth natural experiment but very little serious study analysis have been carried out. Besides some of the ministers and senior officials in the PMO and finance ministry, two persons who knew about it were Reserve Bank of India Governor Ujjit Patel and Chief Economic Advisor Arvind Subramanian. But both these gentlemen have been either silent or cryptic about the entire matter. So before RBI board, Finally, endorsed the decision to delegalize 85 percent of the currency in value, in value terms, which I believe was uh, merely a formality. Uh, I would like to know what were the nature of discussions that happened in the weeks prior to that. How many meetings were held? Were they minuted? Now we don't know.
0: This November 8 marks five years of demonetization. After his emphatic win in 2014, it was the first dramatic decision that gave us a sense of Prime Minister Modi's working style and his priorities.
2: 8 November 2016, that night at 12:00 vartman the jari 500 rupee and 1000 rupee currency Legal, tender Ye hogi.
0: As a blunt policy instrument, demonetization had a deep impact on India's economy in the short term, leading to economic slowdown and a drop in India's GDP. But five years on, the long lines, the confusion and the panic of citizens have all receded. Many more people have been brought into the formal economy, India's GDP is slated to grow at 10% this year, and the markets are booming like never before. Will hindsight give us a measure of the real impact of demonetization which rendered 85% of India's currency void overnight? There's an old econ joke that I'm going to hide behind, and that's how it goes. How has the French Revolution affected world economic growth? Too early to say the point of that rather sad joke is that we may not have any definitive answers for you. As you know, talk is cheap, supply exceeds demand. <laughs> sorry, 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 that was the last one. In this podcast, actually, you're going to hear some excellent people, but with wildly divergent views. Coming up is Nilesh Shah, MD at Kotak Mahindra Asset Management Company and a member of the Prime Minister's Economic Advisory Council. When demonetization happened, You had called it the perfect step towards nation building.
3: So demonetization had pros as well as cons. The pros were that it supported digital adoption. Today, UPI has crossed $100 billion in monthly transactions. The con was related to MSME disruption and some hardship, which all of us had to face, standing in queue to deposit money. And we all came out of it now there is one thing where we failed as a nation now we all know there is a black money and it is a substantial portion the government hoped that citizens will take this opportunity and you know not deposit their black money in bank account and that way they will have some surplus money unfortunately people found a shortcut There are many people who still believe that India has not got independence from UK. They still believe that if they pay tax to the queen of England, Now we need to educate a reasonably large population that we got independence in 1947. And when you pay tax, it goes to the government of India. Demonetization was an attempt to change India's location. From a tax compliance point of view, we are situated in Africa demonetization, a way to bring them to Asia.
0: Mr. Shah, nobody will perhaps know better than you that our relationship with money is also psychological. The demonetization was a bit of a trauma to to our collective psyche in that sense. In hindsight, was that perhaps the best way to go about it? So if
3: you got a heart attack, what do you do? Uh, one, you just apply very heavy dose of medicine so that at least you are alive. Thereafter, we reduce medicine and some medicines will be permanent like blood thinner. There will be some exercise. There will be some diet control. And combination of that brings you up to the normal life level. Now, can someone say that, no, no, I have taken heavy dose of medicine. There are side effects. So I don't want to take heavy dose of medicine but if you worry about side effects then you will be dead then can someone argue that oh i have you have given me heavy dose with side effects now why should i control diet you should cure my health you should cure my heart no there is a combination of things required if you want to live after a heart attack you will have to take some pain of side effects you will have to let go your test buds you will have to let go your laziness and that's how you live a normal life The same thing applies in reading economy of black money. Unfortunately for us, the tax implementation, the punishment, the rules, they are very, very selective. Uh, We have imported tons of gold. No one knows what is the quantity of gold we are owning. The estimates ranges between $2 trillion to $3 trillion. Now, bulk of this gold is lying in Tijori. It's in black economy. Now, how do we bring that frozen savings into the economy? There should be a campaign to teach people that by keeping your savings in gold, you have actually lost half of India. Our GDP is $3 trillion. If we had utilized that $2 trillion, $3 trillion worth of gold appropriately in building schools, colleges, hospitals, it could have been five or $6 trillion economy. Demonetization alone is not sufficient. GST alone is not sufficient. Reduction in tax rates, simplification of tax filing alone is not sufficient. It has to be a continuous process of diet, exercise, and medicines to cure you from
1: your health problem. Now this entire demonetization is just not a matter for the economists. Even it's very much a subject for the sociologists would like to know what really happened, how lives were unsettled, how the disruptions played out, but we don't have that. So that void of knowledge and information is something that strikes me about an experiment which was so large, so bizarre.
0: That's Sugata Ghosh of the Economic Times, who writes on banking, taxation, markets and economy. He is of the view that demonetization's impact on the economy cannot be looked at in isolation. But that, it has to be viewed, coupled with the GST rollout that followed. Tell me, in three or four points, how demonetization has changed the country?
1: First and foremost is that volume of cash dealings had come down. I won't say come down dramatically, but it has come down. The second is uh, tax avoidance is far more difficult now. But both these issues could have been tackled without demonetization. And I won't attribute uh, these compliance, higher compliance standards, uh, are largely driven by demonetization. I would say GST played a far more important role than demonetization in promoting uh, digital transactions, in in bringing down the cash dealings. But cash dealings have not come down dramatically. We still have cash dealings. We still have the angarias, the cash couriers. Yes, their volumes may have come down. There are certain transactions like check for cash, which was very prevalent in Bombay and Delhi, where a credible customer a party just gave a cash and it was discounted, and yeah, just give a check and it was discounted uh, to give cash. Now those kind of uh, dealings, uh, the the, uh, the fee has gone up significantly from 0.5% to now 3%. So, those are things that have happened. But uh, I won't attribute the entire thing to, de- uh, to demonetization.
0: Demonetization was, as we were speaking earlier, uh, before the interview, demonetization was followed by Black Money Act, was followed by the Benami Prohibition Act, Five years down the line, how effective has it been?
1: What was the stated purpose of demonetization? It was to attack the stock of black money. But within a month of demonetization, that is by December that year, we found out almost the entire money has flown back to banks. So it was then for the income tax department to chase the depositors and collect tax and establish that that money which has been deposited was untaxed. Now, that was an experience which simply overwhelmed the central government and the central bank because they were taken aback by the entire money laundering cap- capability of the country as a whole. And if you remember this uh, strong remarks which uh, the prime minister made uh, about, uh, on chartered accountants and the new monitoring body
2: hmm. for chartered
1: accountants, I would say owe its origin uh from From the experience the government had on demonetization, because there was a widely shared perception among several people in the government who were disappointed when all the money came back to banks that uh, uh, the chartered account that, uh, i mean that the chartered accountants have actually hijacked the entire demonetization exercise
0: there is a school of thought that believes that post demonetization, india's informal economy has shrunk and or is shrinking, and that's a good thing.
1: The informal sector may be coming down because of primarily because of GST more than demonetization. Because the small informal sectors, I mean, their money wasn't illegal. They were dealing in cash, but there was it was not illegal money. So they had to fall in line with the GST norms, or they had to stay entirely out of GST. So because of that compliance standards maybe the informal sector, the way you define it, may have shrunk a little. But I saw a recent report which says that the informal sector has come down to 15 or 20% from 50%. Now, I would take that number with a back full of salt, because informal sector in Europe would be around 15 20%. So it does, just doesn't pass the smell test that India in three years, informal sector is down to 20%. Yes. But you know what happened is that uh, uh, the growth, the decline in growth, which is borne out by the macro numbers, that started after demonetization. First, it was demonetization. Then, it was the unsettling effect of GST, the teething troubles, the failures and the compliance cost of small businessmen to meet the GST requirements. <clears throat> and finally, the collapse of ILNFS which shrank the balance sheet of finance companies and their inability to raise money and lend. Now, many of these finance companies, they were lending to the small businesses. So these three factors coming one after another cast a real big shadow on the growth. I would say that uh, the bigger measures have been demonetization and the spread of digital transactions which in recent years have happened largely due to COVID, and uh, the acceptance of uh, credit cards or Paytm by even Kirana shops and the small merchants, that is a significant development. But the cash holding in the economy is still large. If demonetization would have been such a big success, the cash ratio would have come down significantly. Now, that hasn't happened.
0: When Mr. Modi or this current dispensation looks back, on their tenure. Do you think that demonetization would be one of their sort of crowning highlights?
1: My bet would be they would be playing it down. When the government, in the next manifesto, when they write about their achievements, I don't think they would play up demonetization. Rather, they would play up GST, they would play up digital transactions in a big way, they will play up UPI. Uh, they will play out the rise in the stock market. It's just not demonetization. I mean, for instance, transactions in the stock market using cash has become extremely difficult. It, so a lot of money that is going into stock market, it's 99% is tax paid money. The, the use of the stock exchanges, the penny stocks to launder money where... Uh, The buyer and the seller, they enter into an agreement where one person converts black into white and the other person, does a reverse transaction to lower its taxable income. Now, those kinds of transactions have dramatically come down because of the clampdown on penny stocks transactions. So to attribute everything to demonetization, even they know it will not hold water. So I would say that uh, demonetization would be showcased in a limited way.
2: Inflation become worse through the deployment of cash earned in corrupt ways. The poor have to bear the brunt of this. It had direct effect on purchasing power of the poor and the middle class.
0: That was Prime Minister Modi at the same national address on television, during which he announced demonetization. Five years on, it would be a cause of concern that not only are poor households struggling with increasing food and fuel prices, but as per a widely discussed study by two academics, Prof. Santosh Mehrotra and Dr. Jajati Keshri Parida, the number of people below poverty line has for the first time gone up by 76 million in the last eight years. Dr. Indira Hirwe is chairperson of the Ahmedabad-based Institute Development Alternatives she trained at the Delhi School of Economics and the Mumbai University and a major area of interest are labor and employment, poverty and human development. She has been visiting faculty at Oxford University and has served on government committees. She is also author of several books, especially on development work in Gujarat. Dr. Hirve says demonetization was a disaster for the poor who were involved in the informal sector.
4: It was not thought about seriously to start with and mismanaged also, no preparation, no homework, nothing. And for the informal economy particularly, it was a great disaster, particularly small-scale industries, uh, petty services and small business. All of them had serious cash crunch and as a result of which they could not Continue and it, its effect lasted for quite some time because once you just can't survive and you stop and you die, kind of industry dies, then it's very difficult for them to come out. Because of this decline in demand in the economy, it had a uh, deflationary impact on the economy in the sense that a lot of uh, industries closed down and then. Employment also declined, unemployment increased and all that. And that because of it, it was a deflationary impact, which was really very serious. Secondly, the objectives were not clear. He's initially, they said that it is curbing corruption and black money. But people, as you know, are when they are really corrupt and they have a lot of black money, they don't keep it in cash. They keep it in real estate, they stock it. Stuck it outside, the, outside the country, or they stuck it in gold and diamond and all that. Ultimately, whatever cash came back was almost equal to the cash that was before that. So it really shows that there was not much impact on black money. Second objective was terror funding. That fake notes and all that would go. Fake money came out, came up very easily. So that argument was not holding. Digital economy was added later on. But even then, the progress of digital economy, at least during that period, did not show any big jump as such. Maybe in the long run, there was some jump or whatever. In fact, after five years, we can think of the long run. Then financial inclusion perhaps has increased. And maybe there is digitalization has increased. But the problem is this, the question is this, that Was it worth all the trouble to the economy? Clearly it wasn't. You should have used other ways ways to increase your financial inclusion and digitization. What is more dangerous is that we came to know how our prime minister designs. He goes by his whims and not by homework, not by logic. Not by consultation with experts. We saw it in GST also. We saw it in lockdown also. Second thing, it came out that he does not value experts. He doesn't care for them. You know, he whatever he thinks, he thinks he is right. Now the situation is that that if he comes on TV for some announcement, many people get scared.
0: Ignore what the markets have done, can you? It's been like a dhamaka year in all senses of the word.
3: And Dhamaka year, Aisha, and I still don't think that party katamu
0: I hope so. Because what
3: <laughs> is, what are markets, Aisha? Ultimately, a reflection of economy. Yeah.
0: Kotak's Nilesh Shah has a very different view from Dr. Hirway. In Mumbai, where he's headquartered, his clients are in Clover. The bull run in the markets, he says, will hopefully spur demand, creating a virtuous cycle of growth. Markets are at near all-time
3: high. Investors have made money. And more importantly, uh, more than 2 crore DMET accounts have been opened in the last 18 months. So it's not just uh, promoters making money in stock market. It is common men on the street also making money in the stock market. I run mutual fund. A couple of days back, some investor called me up saying that, Nilesh, I need your home address. I want to send some Diwali gift. And I said, your wishes are good for me. There's no need for Diwali gift. And then he said, Nilesh bhai, can can I ask you a question if you don't mind? I said, mm-hmm. please say. And he said, does your statement of account reflect truth? Is the value which you are putting in your statement of account real? And I said, surely you can redeem and the money will be credited into bank account. And that guy replied, saying that I can't believe I have made so much of money. And hence, I wanted to check.
0: Mr. Shah, you're part of the PM's Economic Advisory Committee. What is the PM's thinking going forward? Uh, We are on
3: the way to become probably third largest economy behind China and US. And eventually, with this foundation, we should become second largest economy behind China.
0: What timeline are you talking about?
3: We moved from 10th largest to 6th largest economy in the last seven years. From 6th to 3rd should be very easy as we overtake Germany, Japan and United Kingdom. But from 3rd to become 2nd to overtake US, it's going to take a long period of time. It means we will have to work harder, smarter and not repeat the mistakes which we have made in the last 75 years. China has lifted far more number of people from below poverty line than any other country in the world. In China, are people working like labor camp? Answer is yes. Many, many, many years ago, I had visited China and I saw a big factory of garment makers. There was not even one person wearing spectacle. And I asked them, like, uh, how come no one is wearing spectacle when they're doing such intricate work? And he said very simply that whenever someone gets spectacle, we just remove him or her. Uh, There, the women were working six days a week, 12 hours a day. And in the factory, just next door to main building, there was a dormitory where, like railway compartment, three tiers, women were staying. And on Sunday, they'll have to share that birth. So clearly, we don't want that, right? We'll have to use that. See, without working hard, can we create growth? Answer is no We will have to work hard to create growth. One generation will have to sacrifice so that the next generation will be appropriate. And there are multiple models of creating success. I think as a country, we have to figure out a model. Do we want to go to Singur model? Do we want to go to model? As a country, our model is Sanand. It is not Singur.
0: If there is one advice that you would, as part of the PM's Advisory Council, Economic Advisory Council, what would that be?
3: Respect businesses. Our entrepreneurs are like Abhimanyu. Abhimanyu went to the Chakravyu on his own. And he always knew that my uncles and brothers are coming to help me. They couldn't come. That's a separate matter. But he was fighting with the belief that Pandavas are coming to help him. Our entrepreneur is more than the Abhimanyu. He goes into, he is born in Chakravyu. He fights Kauravs, which is market forces dumping by China, price movements, and other things. He's also fighting Pandas, which is infrastructure limitation, compliance burden, rules and regulations, and so on and so forth. We need to support our Abhimanyu so that it can defeat the you know, chakravyu. it can break the chakravyu, And that can only happen if we respect businesses. Businesses create growth, businesses create development, businesses create jobs. Unless until we respect business, unless until we give them a rule of law, they are not going to prosper. So we must support our businessmen by giving them their due, giving them their respect, giving them an environment whereby they are
0: only fighting Kauravs, not Kauravs and Pandavs together. In Ahmedabad, Dr. Indira Hirve is not so sanguine that the profits from the rising markets will trickle down to the poor. The India versus Bharat narrative, she says, is sadly getting more accentuated. But look at the markets. There are so many people making extraordinary amounts of money that they haven't in many years. How would you respond to that? First of all,
4: inequalities are increasing. And secondly, the bottom 30, 40% population is left out from these gains more or less. And that's why I think it is very dangerous because the demand is not rising in a significant way. The revival that's happening is not increasing employment and the quality of employment also is deteriorating in many cases, that's one thing. And secondly, I think all this growth without health and without education is very dangerous. Because we we know it very well that education suffered maximum in the last two years. And still funding on education has gone down in many states, including the center. These people will take a long time to study, to literate, to get literacy, and to get equipment, et cetera. I mean, equipped to participate in the mainstream economy. And if the economy is going for high tech and the fourth industrial revolution kind of a thing, then these people will never be able to participate in that because in the new economy what they call with the fourth industrial revolution we do not only need literate and educated people but we need highly skilled people and that we don't have. All the growth does not have much meaning it will not be sustainable in the long term.
0: This government is also fiscally conscious, though, and they don't want the deficit to go up. It, it kind of rubs off positively in some way, does it not, you think? No, I think that fiscal policy
4: is not something which is only for uh, maintaining uh, fiscal deficit ratio it is for development and it is for growth. So fiscal policy and monetary policy should be utilized for promoting growth in the economy. That will create more employment and more growth and more sustainable growth in the economy. So fiscal and monetary policy, which this government takes as a very narrow way, it looks at it in a very narrow way, is very wrong. You have to which are the potential of fiscal and monetary policy to promote economic growth, to promote investment, and so on. Now, if you are not, don't have money today to fund education or to fund health, then what is the use of having any growth? Because 40% people are left out. What is the point? You know, the study has recently, a study has shown that only 8% people in from rural areas could participate in Digital education and maybe a little more in other ways. So after twenty percent, more than twenty percent people have had some kind of access to education, but eighty percent people were left out. Oh, this is something very dangerous for the economy because education is the basic invest, basic investment for the poor. It's a basic asset for poor. It equips poor to participate in the economy. And if they cannot participate in the economy and if they don't have any prospects or chances in the mainstream economy, then they are all gone. With rising inequalities, poor people going down and remaining illiterate and unhealthy, there is no use of this growth. So I don't promote, I don't uh, uh, appreciate this growth,
0: and I don't want to celebrate this growth at all. Today's episode is produced by Jairad Singh and Sunay Marathi. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas, and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We are available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips... Reach us at Ui at TimesInternet.in.